0: Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. When I was a little kid, um, my mom taught me to set the dinner table. And uh, I I have to say that I didn't always have the best attitude when I was given a chore to do. But uh, even though I had a hard time remembering which side the fork went on, It took me, I think it literally took me years to to figure that out uh, and and what the spoon went with and, and those kinds of things. I still didn't mind doing that one chore, and the reason I think was because I knew that something good was coming after that table was set, and it had to be set before before that which I was usually smelling by that time, the, the dinner that my mom was making uh, would come. Now, for those of you that are, are visiting with us today, uh, I'm in the middle of a series on the book of Acts called The Empowered Church, and we're talking about really not just the story of the church, but the story of the working of God's Spirit in His people and in the church but i'm also doing when we have the lord's supper when we have communion doing a separate series and focusing on the 10 commandments and calling it law and uh, the law and grace and the purpose of what we do now in essence is to set the table to prepare for that which is coming But I don't want to give the impression that uh, this is lesser than what we do there. The Word and the sacraments always are tied together, and it is essential that they be tied together. We don't just do communion somewhere. We don't just baptize somebody somewhere. It's always in the context of the preaching of the Word of God. And that's our purpose today. The command we're looking at has to do with worship, the second command. And what we need to understand immediately is that true worship is regulated by God. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy 12. Let's pray and then we will read that portion of God's Word. Lord, we do ask that you would... Uh, Teach us today, you'd prepare us, not that we would set the table, but that your Spirit would in our hearts prepare us to partake, to grow in you, to be nourished by you. We ask that you would be our teacher, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In Deuteronomy 12, it says this, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, here's the instructions for when you do that. Take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they've been destroyed before you. That you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods. And they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you You shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Here's how the Westminster Confession of Faith says something right along those lines, similar to that. It says the acceptable way, this is uh, the... um, in, in 21, uh, chapter 21, the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by Himself and so limited by His own revealed will that He may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Spirit. Scripture. We call this the, the regulative principle of worship. And what, what we are saying in that is that, uh, look, it's, it's God that, that tells us what's going to glorify Him. And we aren't the ones that should be making up and saying, this will make you happy. This will Surely you'll like this because I like this. In our, in our worship. And so God graciously told us how we are to worship. But we are to we, we have the freedom within that to worship complete with, within that, and there's a lot of wide parameters, but there's also parameters. And that is what He has revealed. And, and if that doesn't make sense, ask this question. Can the creature know how to please the Creator? Absolutely. Unless the Creator tells him. Can a fallen man, can can a, a man that is sinful determine how to bring glory to God unless God tells that sinful man how to do it? I hope you can... See that that it would be arrogant for us as His people to imply that we're smart enough, we're insightful enough to figure out what what the best way to worship is apart from what He has told us. Yesterday, I was talking to uh, someone who was here at the church in the morning, and uh, his Uh, He was telling me that he was getting ready to go shopping. I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah. Um, My wife's birthday is two days apart from Mother's Day. And they've been married a long time. And so he said, I'm always, every year, I'm struggling with what what to give my wife. And so I decided to take her shopping, and I thought, you're a smart man, you know. That's, I, I, and I didn't say it, but I, I wondered how many years it took him to, to figure out that's, that's the best way. But imagine for a moment a husband deciding, not that this has ever happened to any of you, nor to me, okay? But imagine a husband deciding to give his wife a gift, and he decides to purchase something. And so, like a good husband, he goes... To Home Depot <laughs> Or Lowe's, whatever where, you, know, whichever would be your place, and goes into that magnificent tool department and looks at and handles every one of those tools until he finds the perfect gift. So he purchases the crowbar and, and with great care he wraps it up. And then, whenever the occasion is, he takes the crowbar. You know, he takes it to her and he hands it to her. And she receives the you know this odd looking gift. She unwraps it and says, "Oh." uh, a crowbar, (laughs) and a couple of things could go through her mind, (laughs) as if I would know what would be going through her mind. But she might be thinking either he was just flippant about what he decided to buy, or he really doesn't have a clue what would please me. Now that's a that's a very shallow illustration, but do you see the parallel there? When God has told us what pleases Him, for us to uh, ignore that, or add to it, or subtract from it, is insulting to His glory. It's arrogant on our part to imply that we know better. And it's way worse than telling your wife that this crowbar will make you happy whether you know it or not. That's why we must submit ourselves to the Word of God when it comes to how to worship Him. There are many things in in the Scripture about how to worship. I want to share with you just three this morning, all as we head toward this table. The first is I want us to start with the law, which is really what the, the series that we are in the middle of in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, talks about us worshiping without the aid or invention of images or idols, Verse 4 says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And then notice where he goes from there in verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. We are not to conjure up in our minds, to put in front of us things that we would say show us what God is like, who He is, because we're incapable of doing it. Some of you have probably read the, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. And What what that is? Sometime read it if you haven't. It is kind of reverse advice that is given from Uncle Screw Tape, who's supposed to be the devil, to one of his demons, his nephew Wormwood. And as you read it, it's in the form of letters, and he kind of says, "This is how you want to deal with these Christians," and how you can discourage them, and how you can you know, cause them not to thrive and that kind of thing. Well, there's one particular uh, one that says this, my dear nephew Wormwood. The best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient, that would be the Christian, from the serious intention of praying altogether. In other words, the best thing you can do, don't you know, keep them from praying. But if this fails you must fall back on a subtler uh, misdirection of his intention. I have known cases where what the patient calls his God was actually located up in the left corner of the bedroom ceiling or inside his own head or in a crucifix on the wall. But whatever the nature of the composite object you must keep him praying to it. You see what he's suggesting? Yeah, you know, if, if he's thinking about something, keep him praying to it, to the thing he has made, not to the person who made him. For if he ever comes to make the distinction, if ever he consciously directs his prayers, not to what I think thou art, but but to what thou knowest thyself to be, our situation is for the moment desperate, your affectionate Uncle screw tape. (laughs) Here's what he's saying is, look, you know, if if you can't outright stop them from praying, get them to pray to something that they've made or even to an image in their head because what that will do is that will take them away from really praying to God and he says if you know if they ever go beyond that and they pray to him then we're in desperate measures that's what he was saying as a demon we would bring glory to God if we came on Sunday and prayed lord Help me to worship you not as to what I think you are, but as to what you actually are. And the only way we know that is what he has told us in his word. We mustn't worship what we conjure up in our mind or imagination. That's why we don't have statues in the sanctuary, we don't have pictures on the wall. We don't project pictures for you to worship. That's what God's warning against. One theologian said, daily experience teaches that the flesh is never satisfied till it has obtained some image resembling itself as an image of God. See, that's the problem. When we conjure up something, it's way too small. It tends to be like us. And that's where we miss out really communing with the true and the living God. The second key is in Ezekiel 14, and that is the heart is the issue. It says this in Ezekiel 14, start with verse 2, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces, Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? And then verse 6. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. God is not and never has been primarily concerned with outward actions. The heart's the key. Now it's it's sincerity is not enough because one can be sincerely wrong. So it's sincerity that's guided by the truth. That's what acceptable worship is. Calvin calls our, our hearts idol factories. <laughs> I think that's such a great phrase that our hearts, you know, just immediately will manufacture idols. That's the default setting. And that's where they come from. That's what it says here in Ezekiel. Idolatry takes place first in the heart. And then it works its way into some kind of outward imagery. And then the third thing. As we are to worship according to his nature. We have many times looked into John chapter 4, where Jesus says this The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So it's according to his nature. Spirit and truth, spiritual worship, truthful, truth-filled worship, worship that is based upon the truth of the Word of God. So not one without the other. Don't, don't uh, put down those who are um, worshiping filled with the Spirit, but... The Spirit and the truth are to be together. They fit with each other. They don't fight one another. And so we worship in the Spirit because God is spiritual. His nature is spiritual. Ours is fleshly. That's another reason why we're not good ones to decide what the best kind of worship is. If he desires spiritual worship, our nature is fleshly. He is unmoved by what pleases our flesh. And then the truth. No falsehood. If you sing a great hymn of praise and you don't think about what you're saying or you're thinking about something else, the song may be beautiful to us, but it does not move him to pleasure. Now, the answer is not to quit singing. You don't say, well, I'm distracted. I just won't sing today. But to focus on what we are singing, what we are saying, what we are praying when we read the Word together. Focus on that and not on other things at that time. Now, because of this command, we've talked a lot about not using images in worship. That's what's forbidden in the law. But let me give you one exception. This is according to John Calvin, and I agree with him on this. There is. There is the exception in terms of using images. He would say there are acceptable images in worship. And this is what they are. It appears to me extremely unworthy to receive any other images than those natural and expressive ones which the Lord has consecrated in His Word. I mean baptism and the supper of the Lord. Those are acceptable images in worship. And today... We've experienced both. And by, by viewing a baptism, by the way, whenever you view a baptism, you should also participate in that baptism. Our confession says you should seek to improve your baptism. In other words, you should be thinking, you know what, I bear that mark as well. Those vows I have taken Am I living a life as becomes a follower of Christ? And where I am not, we should seek to improve our baptism. In other words, live as baptized people. Live as people who have the mark upon us. So that's one image. And the other image is the supper itself. These are called sensible signs. Now that doesn't mean... That they make common sense. What it means is we use our senses. You ask Kelsey later, and she'll tell you, Yeah, I felt the water there. It was real water. I had it on me. And then these we will use our senses. We will see. We will feel. We will smell. We will taste. All of those are are images. But not so that we worship the sacrament of baptism or the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, but because these so well point us to the true God. Who would would worship this? But instead it, it reminds us, it gives us a full picture of His redemption. It reminds us what He did on the cross. His body and His blood. That's an acceptable image, one that he has given to us. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's how serious worship is. That's how serious doing it the way he has told us is. It's so serious that he warns us that should we partake in an unworthy manner, and what that means is if you don't know Christ, or if you're cherishing an idol in your heart that you refuse to deal with by repentance, or if you've got something against a brother or sister and you're unwilling to deal with that, then he would say, you need to deal with those things. But do it before you partake. Because if you don't, you're making a mockery of this table, of this picture of the gospel. Now the beauty of it is that the warning is there so that we might prepare ourselves. And that's the gospel itself that there is forgiveness, that there is reconciliation because of what He did on the cross. Because of His body and because of the shed blood, there is forgiveness at this table. We will in a moment partake together. The elements will be passed. But even in these moments, ask Him to show you what you need to deal with even as the elements are coming your way. And if you struggle with doubt, John Calvin said, look, this is the place for you. This is where doubts are answered. We do not... Believe that somehow, with this being an image, that, that Jesus, who reigns on high, has somehow come down into these elements, but instead, what these elements do is to lift us to Him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, we would ask you to help us to worship you in spirit and, and in truth and without distraction. We are a distracted people every single moment. And so, as we partake of these wonderful elements, will you enable us to feed upon you by faith? Will you, Lord, Set them apart from their common, ordinary, everyday use. And though it's just a little piece of bread, a little sip of the fruit of the vine, will you satiate our hearts? Will you grow us and nourish us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.